You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Now, this is a powerful story I'm sure all of us are somewhat, if not very, familiar with. Next to the story of the cross, I'd say this is the second most powerful story because it's strangely familiar, similar. I have a couple points to make. The first is this. We need to simply trust and obey God. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, trust and obey. You know, when it comes to faith, we always think of the moment or really the event that really tried or tested our faith. Faith to us is usually about the moment, isn't it? Or the hour of decision. And it's true. We certainly have defining moments throughout our lives that demonstrated strength, the strength or the weakness of our faith. But faith is not defined by or characterized by moments in time because true faith is linear. Is linear, as in like the Energizer bunny. It keeps going and going and going on forever. Faith goes on forever. Faith believes and continues to believe. Faith practices what it confesses. In short, faith is all about trusting and obeying. It's not just trusting and, and holding it and just being introspective and waiting upon. It's trusting and obeying. That's ultimately what we learn from Abraham's example when God puts him to the test. So we've just read it, and again, maybe you have heard the story about, uh, heard the story before, but let's think about what made it such a powerful test. The first is this. God, he demanded Abraham's greatest treasure. He demanded Abraham's greatest treasure. So this totally came from left field. Without any type of indication or explanation, God asked Abraham with perfect clarity, so that there's no mistaking what he said. He said, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Now, we know that God had tested Abraham before, but I think this is a bit much, don't, we? don't you think? I mean, this is the ultimate test. Before, yeah, Lot, his nephew, did some weird stuff, some bad stuff. And Abraham, he had almost temporarily lost his nephew, Lot. In the previous chapter, he had to send Hagar and Ishmael away. But this test was completely different. Abraham had no greater love, no greater treasure like his son Isaac. Isaac was the son, was the son Abraham was waiting for for 25 years. 25 years. Can you imagine waiting for 25 years for something? Isaac was a miracle baby. A miracle baby. Abraham was old. Sarah was old. This was the precious son, the precious treasure and gift of their old age. And Isaac was the son of laughter too. He was, a dev- he was, he was the example of God's amazing grace. Amazing gift to Abraham and Sarah. And yet, Here we have God asking Abraham to give up the most precious thing in his life. 
Folks, there may, be, there may come a time when the Lord asks something from you, and what he asks of you will not be easy to part with. It won't. How often have we mistaken the gift of God to be more important than the God who gave us the gift? Huh? We hold dearly to these things, thinking that the gift is far more precious than the giver, that the blessing is far more precious than the blesser. We need to be careful not to confuse God's gift as God. Otherwise, like Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 says, I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. God is our first love, amen? No one comes and nothing comes before him. Make no mistake about that. God has a right to claim your most precious treasure. He has every right to claim your most precious treasure. He may ask of you the very thing that costs everything you have. And he will not apologize for being first in your life. And when God claims our most precious treasure, we must trust him and obey. Amen? Trust and obey. But the thing was, it wasn't just about the treasure. It was the fact that God demanded something of Abraham that he just could not understand. Isaac was the child of promise. God himself miraculously gave Abraham the son. God also promised that all the covenant promises would not only just be fulfilled, but be fulfilled through Isaac. Abraham had been tested and tried, and he knows that God's promises are true, and that God is a promise keeper. But now God is asking for a sacrifice, but this isn't just any sacrifice. It is a human sacrifice. And that just doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever, and I'll tell you why. Because the Canaanites, they performed human sacrifices, and God called it an abomination. An abomination. It is sinful. It is evil. It is wicked. You must not. God's people did not sacrifice people. And so this command must have been the most confusing and warped and contradictory thing to Abraham's righteous mind, and yet God commanded, take your son, Take your son, your one son, the one that you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. See, in Abraham's mind, there are two certainties. Two certainties yet seem to contradict each other. First is this, Abraham knew that all of God's promises were tied up in Isaac. That was the first certainty. Everything flowed through Isaac. Secondly, the second certainty was that God wanted Isaac to be sacrificed. How in the world did this make any sense? This was completely incomprehensible. Folks, can I say something here? It seems like in Abraham's case, but oftentimes even in our lives as well, the command for us to give up something we truly treasure and truly love up to the Lord, no matter how confusing or contradictory it may seem, the giving up of the treasure was never, is never really the point. It's not actually the point, giving up the thing that you love. The real point of Abraham's act, as well as ours, was not about the sacrifice of the treasure, but it was about the sacrifice of your will. It was about the sacrifice of your wisdom. It was about the sacrifice of our understanding so that we might see if we really have faith in God. This is where people might be tempted to interject that commonly used phrase, although it's not biblical, 
God works in mysterious ways. The point is, what we have in Scripture is the revelation of God, right? The way that he's revealed himself. What we know about him is known by the revelation of his words found in Scripture. But there is also a hiddenness of God where he acts in ways that defy our wisdom, where he acts in ways that defy our logic and defy our understanding. And it's not that God contradicts himself because he doesn't and he can't. The problem is that we are unable to see how that truth, that reality harmonizes with what God is doing in our lives and in this world. Just because we can't see or understand the way God works doesn't mean he's contradicted himself. But the problem is we often say, if I can't see it, if I don't understand it, if it doesn't go with my logic, then it's wrong. To that, God says in Isaiah 55, 8, 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. My, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. We can't let our lack of understanding get in the way of our trust and obedience. We feel like we can disobey God when it seems that God has set himself against us. It happens when it seems that God is ignoring his promises to us. It happens when it seems that there's no possibility that we or anyone can make any sense of our situation or circumstance. This happens even when we can't find the silver lining or anything optimistic about our situation. Even if we don't fully understand, God says, trust me and obey me. Are you willing not to sacrifice the great treasure in your life, but are you willing to sacrifice and let down and surrender and submit your will, your reason, your wisdom, and your understanding? That's what God is asking. And so that's exactly what Abraham did. You know, part of me kind of wish that there was a whole chapter devoted to the thoughts of Abraham during this time. But I think the shocking thing about faith is that it's not as convoluted as we may think it is because here in this passage, Abraham's response was pretty clear. It was direct. As direct as the command to sacrifice his own child was, his response was prompt because early in the morning, he was getting up ready to obey God's command. And let's face it, sometimes it's even hard for us to get to work or do our quiet time in the morning without dragging our feet. But here we see Abraham get up early in preparation for the sacrifice. Then we know that Abraham obeyed persistently. This wasn't a stepping out on the porch type of deal to kind of just get it over with. This was a three-day trip. Three-day trip. There was plenty of time for cold feet. There was plenty of time for disobedience. There was plenty of time for running away from the situation. But Abraham persevered step by step, trusting step by step, obeying. Then we know also Abraham obeyed rigorously. Again, it's not like there was an altar to plop his son on top of and, and make a quick sacrifice of him. No, Abraham had now to, had to cut the wood. He had to go cut the wood, load it up onto his donkey, set out on the journey, travel to the designated place, then load the wood on top of Isaac's back, lit and carried the torch, packed the knife, then hiked to the place of offering. And then he built the altar of stones and he prepared the wood and then he bound up his son. Then he placed his son on the altar and then he drew his knife to slay his son. And what's interesting is that as I've just described the step-by-step -step of what Abraham had to do, I'm sure many of us were feeling 
something, perhaps a little anguish, concern, fear, confusion, maybe even anger because you felt like you had to sacrifice something too. But all throughout this very real process of sacrificing his son, there is not a single mentioning of how Abraham must have felt. I mean, we can definitely try to imagine the agony of his soul. The agony of it all, honestly. And that's what makes the story so powerful. But as far as what the Bible says, there is not one, no mentioning of his concern or how terrible he felt. And the reason I believe that's the case is because faith is not based on emotion. You hear me? Faith is not based on emotion. Sure, there are definitely many moments when our emotions are stirred. But how often have our faith has it been limited ultimately by how we feel? Faith isn't about how we feel about the situation or that event. Faith is about trusting God enough to do what he says, even when it doesn't make any sense, even when you feel the exact opposite, even when every fiber within your body is rebelling against your obedience to the Lord. That's when God calls us to trust and obey him. So how did Abraham do it? What allowed him to trust in God and keep going? That goes to our second and final point, and this is it. Because he knew God will provide. God will provide. Turn to your neighbor and say, God will provide. Today I want to share with you the names of God. And these names reveal to us all who God is and why we can trust and obey him no matter what happens in life, no matter where we are in life, no matter how tragic our circumstances might be, no matter how confused we are. For God is El Shaddai, that means the mighty one. He is El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth, amen? He is El Roy, the God who sees me. He is Adonai, that means he is the Lord. He is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, which means he is the Lord of the armies of heaven, hallelujah. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner, which means he is the one under whom we unite and where the power of our enemies are vanquished. He is Jehovah Rohi, which means the Lord, our shepherd. But we also know that he is also the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We also know that he is the wonderful counselor and the mighty God and the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And we know that Christ our Lord is the bread of life, that he is the light of the world, that he is the good shepherd and the resurrection and the life and that he is the way and the truth and the life and that he is the king of kings and that he is the Lord of lords and there's just so many more. But here in this chapter, God is called yet another name. Another name, a name Abraham gives to this place of testing. See, at this moment, at this very moment, God is called Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, and what does that mean? It means the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. That name itself was the content, the basis of Abraham's faith throughout this great test. 
I don't understand what you're doing, God. I don't get it. It is incomprehensible to my logic. It is a contradiction, but God, you are God. You are Jehovah Jireh, and you will provide somehow, some way. And we see it here in his instructions to his servants in verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. You see, for Abraham, this wasn't some morbid, terrible mission he was going on because he knew that he and his son, they were going to go worship. You get that? They're going to go worship the living God, that they will both return. How does he know? Well, he doesn't, but all he knows is that God will provide. And you see it again in verse 7a, when the moment Isaac, his son, questions him about the lamb, Father, yes, my son, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for burnt offering? Abraham says, son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Was Abraham lying to his son? No. Abraham was certain, although he didn't know how, although he didn't understand why, although he couldn't see the way, but beyond any doubt, Abraham knew the Lord would provide. And if we're still not convinced of the depth of Abraham's faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, 19 tells us something so amazing. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Did you get that? Did you get that, folks? Abraham trusted so much in the fact that God would provide for the fulfillment of his promises concerning Isaac that Abraham knew that even if he were to plunge that knife into the body of his promised, treasured, anointed son, Abraham trusted that God would raise his son from the dead. Tell me what faith is. Abraham believed in the almighty power of God and in the provision of God that he was willing to sacrifice his very son because he knew that the God he worshipped was not a weak God, but the God he worshipped was the God of the resurrection. What God do you worship today? You see, Abraham didn't know what God was going to do, but Abraham knew that God was capable, what he was capable of doing. Abraham wasn't looking for a way out of obedience. He didn't expect God to bail him out. He fully expected to sacrifice his son. Abraham's faith was that God would provide for the keeping of God's own promises, that God would keep his own words. And God did. It wasn't exactly the way Abraham may have expected, but according to verse 12, when God saw that Abraham did indeed fear him, Abraham passed the test by faith by not withholding his son. And at that moment, as he was about to slay his son, the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham not to harm Isaac. Instead, what happened? 
Abraham found a ram caught in the thicket because God had just provided a substitutionary sacrifice. Folks, in all your troubles, in all the tests of your faith, I present to you the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. He is your God. Abraham didn't know how God would provide, but he knew for certain that God would provide, so he trusted him even when nothing made sense. Where is your faith today? Is it one of, I still need all the facts, PD? I still need all the information, and then I'll be the judge to decide if it's worth following or not. Or is your faith in God where you say, no matter what I'm going through, no matter how hard life is, no matter what you are asking of me, I will trust you and I will obey you because you alone are God. You alone are Jehovah Jireh. You alone are worth obeying and following. Now God could have asked Abraham to take his son out back in the lot back law and sacrifice him there. But instead, God, God did something interesting. He sent him to a very specific place called Moriah, a three days journey away from Beersheba. And it was on a hilltop that Abraham faced the test and where he also received the substitutionary sacrifice. But this hilltop wasn't just any hilltop, people. Because according to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, this was where Solomon eventually built the temple of the Lord because this was the site of the future city of Jerusalem. What does that mean? It means that this was the location of another hilltop that was mentioned in Scripture, and that hilltop was called Calvary. On around this hilltop, on another day, centuries later, another father, this time the Heavenly Father, sacrificed his only son, but only this time he did not stop short of the death of his son. God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the sacrificial lamb of God, for he was the ram caught in the thicket who died in Isaac's place and who died in your place and in my place. People, this is not just a story about Abraham and about Isaac. Here in this passage, in this time, God is revealing in very human terms, in terms that you and I can understand, the marvelous, glorious truth of the gospel. Here, we see how much our Heavenly Father loves us. Amen? Oh, how He loves you. That He would sacrifice His only Son here we see the great cost the Son was willing to pay for our salvation. And here we see what it means, get this, to go free because of his substitutionary sacrifice as if we were just simply untied and walked away like Isaac. So what does that mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? It means to trust and obey God no matter what, but also knowing that God has 
and always will provide everything. Maybe not the comforts and luxuries that we think in human ideas and earthly and worldly materialistic sense, but God will provide always everything that we need for our salvation. And that's found in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Perhaps, Lord, we are all in a situation in our lives where we're confused and really just questioning the things that you have directed us to obey. And, and they seem like a contradiction. Maybe it's just cloudy. Maybe we just don't get it. But we know what your word says. We know how you're commanding us we know the ways in which you are directing us. I pray for faith, a faith that will not just question, but a faith that will trust and a faith that will obey. Father, I want that kind of faith. Even when every fiber of my body, my flesh says, no, no, no. I pray I may walk in the Spirit, and obey you. And I think a lot of us are having that same, perhaps in that same dilemma, where we're a bit weak in our faith. And the reason why Abraham was able to get to that point of trusting and obeying is because despite the many failings in his life, and many times that he has rebelled, and many times that he has just fallen short, it was pretty obvious to see that he did walk with the Lord. Folks, are you walking with the Lord? Because it is in that walk you know and you get to know who he is. It is, in, it is through that daily communication, devotion, whatever you want to call it, that you get to know who you're trusting and why he is so good and worthy to obey. But I also pray that you will give us a faith to know that you are the one who provides in all things. And not just in a monetary sense, not just in a materialistic sense, though you can do that, Father. No, ultimately, God, you have given us everything so that we can come to you. You have given us your son, Jesus, and provided everything for salvation so that we can live eternally in your presence. And so we thank you. Friends, brothers and sisters, take this moment just to pray. Lift up your meditations, your thoughts, your prayers to the Lord in the way that the Holy Spirit is prompting you and guiding your thoughts right now. The things that you, perhaps you have placed up in your hearts as barriers where you perhaps are doubting God or using to say, you know, I can't trust you enough because I need this type of evidence or these type of facts. If you're not there, can you pray for faith? Say, God, give me faith. But maybe this is a time to repent as well. So let's all take this time to pray, and we'll go into our final song.